0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network.
1: You're listening to episode 345 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Jesse Herrick is a software engineer based in Columbus, Ohio at Little Lines, a Ruby on Rails development company. He specializes in back-end web development, but also does full-stack work as well. Jesse often works in Rails for Work, but his main software passion nowadays is Elixir and Phoenix. Welcome to the show, Jesse.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: It's great to have you. So Jesse, I've heard that your developer origin story is quite the wild ride, so I'm excited to hear it.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if there's... I'm sure there's lots of people like me, but I I, I feel like it's a little bit unique. Uh, So I started learning how to program when I was about 10 years old. I I found that I, I found math classes a little bit boring, uh, which I know is a little ironic for a programmer. And so I, but I was always very fascinated by computers. Ever since I was very young, I've always I've always loved to to not just with computers, but I've loved to take things apart, see how they work, and 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 you know, try to try to I don't know, just try to explore how things work, right? And so uh, I really started to get into programming per se around 10 11 years old and that's when I remember specifically printing out like these giant manuals on I I remember I think some of them were on Java I would I would sometimes check out books from the library and uh, I would I would basically just try to learn how to program and that was that was just something that I kind of did for fun because I I really found it fascinating I found the idea of being able to communicate with a computer being able to basically to be able to create the things that I use every single day which which uh, are you know things on the computer because I was always fascinated by computers. Um, I I wanted to learn how to do that. And so I kept I kept working on it, and so uh, I remember, you know, even during during classes, I would just kind of I'd be pretend to be listening, and then I would I would have my book there, and I would be like taking notes on things, and then from there I kind of continued on. Uh, I I'm a little bit of a of a performer, and uh, so back in I remember in middle school I was in a few plays, and and uh, rather than practicing my lines because I already had them memorized, I I would uh, work on uh, learning different different uh, programming languages and things like that, and just kind of building up my skills. And so, by the time I was I was maybe twelve, I uh, had had already learned Ruby, and I was fascinated by the language because I started to get really interested in web development because I always I you know I'm uh, I guess a kid of the internet and I always I I always found it fascinating the way that these things work, and so I started to build out using Ruby, and then I began learning Ruby on Rails. Uh, and so the thing about learning how to program especially by yourself is that it is an incredibly lonely thing to learn I found I think that I think that programming especially when you're first starting out can be very frustrating because you run into bugs that are completely inscrutable and even if even if to someone who has two years more of experience would would absolutely know what the problem is you will run into this issue and you hit a wall for hours and hours and so I was just doing this for fun but I I remember I spent days where I I spent maybe three hours working on a typo I, I ran into a bug where the issue was was literally a typo and and you know uh at at the at the time where I am now obviously I could I could fix that super quick because I would I would look at the logs I would find exactly where the issue is but back then I was like what is going on and so I kept I kept working on my skills Um but I remember I think it was the summer it was either the summer before or the summer after my first year of high school I Wanted to get more involved with the community and and specifically the Ruby community because I I had kind of found my niche in Ruby and and and, and Ruby on Rails uh, because I had actually begun to write articles for for a company called SitePoint um, and and I basically wrote various articles on Ruby Ruby on Rails just various topics and uh, They they paid me for it. And so that was great for for someone at my age You know, they they paid me for articles and I I got to practice my skills and I got to teach other people And so that felt really great, but because of that I wanted to get more involved in the community And so I decided to follow these these various uh, I, I would say these like various blogs basically and, and various uh, Twitter accounts things like that just trying to get more involved and one day I saw from the Dayton Ruby community and I, I'm from Dayton Ohio but I'm, I'm currently based in Columbus Ohio I, I saw the the Dayton brigade and they had a uh, post saying hey we we have a, a monthly meeting coming up if anyone wants to give a talk we would love to have you and so I tweeted back at them I would love to and I do not think they knew how old I was. And I, uh, the, the, the talk was hosted by a company called Little Lines. And so I went to this talk. And I gave a talk on Jekyll version 2 at the time. And I basically broke down all the features. I, I, I explained the reasons why one would want to use a static site generator versus, say, uh, a CMS and, and things of that nature. And uh, when, when I finished the talk, I remember one of them in the audience uh said something along the lines of uh, how old are you <laughs> and i was like oh i'm 13 and they were like what and so a whole i got a whole like slurry of other of uh, other questions like oh what are your thoughts on like this way of doing css and and what are you know I, just all sorts of like various questions because they were they were shocked they were like why is why is someone this young like <laughs> doing this why why are they interested in these types of things and um I had a really great experience, and I I hoped to to kind of continue to get involved with the community, and and that's when I received an email from uh, from Matt, the CEO, and he he emailed me about a week later saying, "Hey, we we all really loved your talk. Would you like an internship with us?" And I was like, "Absolutely!" And so the next summer, I I started, and that internship turned into a job. And I worked on and off uh, pretty, pretty continually at Little Lines. And then uh, after after basically every summer and then after uh, high school ended, I ended up going to college and I went to college for um, about a year and a half. And I kind of I don't know something about it, something about spending thousands of dollars, even though it's a it's a great experience to be in college um, when. I felt like I was spending a ton of money to to go to college when I already had something that I really enjoyed to do and so um, I ended up taking a little bit of time off Uh, I I ended up working on a a political campaign which is a little unrelated but um, and then I I uh, went back to college and I was like I'm not I'm not really a fan of this I I like the real world better and so I left and I uh, went back to Little Lines and I've been working full-time for Little Lines ever since
1: what an incredible story. And you were right that that story definitely was everything that I hoped it to be. Uh, wow. Um, yeah, just incredible that you were conscientious of the Ruby and Rails community so early in your life. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. And so also I want to give a lot of props to Little Lines for seeing that in you and seeing that you were going to be a talent that was going to be on the workforce eventually, but but reaching out and saying like, hey, do you want this internship? And in the end, I'm sure both parties uh, got a lot of value from it. So that is, that is really amazing.
0: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, big props to, to to Matt especially for he's always been there for me and he's always uh, he's always helped me grow with my skills and um, he's he's uh, he's just a wonderful guy.
1: Not that I'm trying to guess your current age, but I am curious. How many years have you been working in Ruby on Rails now?
0: I mean, I've I've been working on Ruby on Rails since I was, uh, or I guess. Probably about seven years now, uh, maybe maybe six years. I mean it really depends you know dabbling a little bit when I first started um, but that's probably how most people begin is they they try to learn various things then you know you take a break from it, and you get back into it and uh, so yeah, probably probably about six or seven years. basically as, as long as I've been programming Ruby, I've been doing various things in Ruby on Rails.
1: Well, that brings us to our main topic today and why I wanted to invite you onto the show. We've had various guests come through uh, the podcast who have talked about their appreciation for Elixir and Phoenix, but you seem very passionate about it. And so as someone who has so much Ruby on Rails experience, what have you been enjoying working with Elixir and Phoenix so far?
0: I didn't realize how many problems there are with Ruby on Rails until I... I started to really get into Elixir. I've been I've been working on Elixir projects since <sighs> I would say maybe 2015. I mean, it was. It, I, I dabbled. Not, I'm not going to say I was very involved, but I dabbled in Elixir um, around 20, 2015. I, I would say, um, and that was actually uh, when, I, when I first started at Little Lines as, as just an intern. And so uh, at the time, Chris McCord was working there, and he, he created the Phoenix framework. Um, and so I, I, I'm not going to say I, I know him particularly well, you know, but, but he, he kind of was. Responsible for the introduction of Elixir into, I would say, Little Line's world and also into into my world. And so to to see, I guess, to see Phoenix grow up and to see Elixir, uh, I, uh, I guess just just to see how powerful it was. I think that's what inspired me to to kind of start getting into it so i've been working in elixir i would say since since about 2015 and that's when i really started to get introduced to the language i i wouldn't say i was particularly in, involved with things until about 2016 and 2017 and that's when i really dedicated myself to to learning the language and learning uh, not not just the language but the paradigms around it and so what i really appreciate about elixir Versus something like like Ruby on Rails is that it has a better packaging system which you wouldn't think so, but it's it's a it's a very important element of a of a, of a language and also of uh of Phoenix as a framework. Uh, But to me, I think that the most important thing is how powerful and uh, the concurrency model of, of Elixir and of Phoenix, because you can build incredibly powerful, incredibly scalable applications using Phoenix and Elixir that would take weeks and weeks and weeks more time to build in Ruby on Rails. And on top of that, they would take so much more resources to build in Ruby on Rails. I think that the parts of of Phoenix specifically and, and of Elixir that I, I really enjoy is that they make you think in a certain way that is much different from how one would think in Ruby on Rails. And it's not just about immutability, it's about it's about OTP and it's about thinking about it's about thinking about how to build a scalable system. So from day one that you're building something, you are you are thinking, okay, what if this fails? What if this fails? And what if that fails? And on top of that, it's a compiled language, which means that a lot of errors that that you might run into in in Ruby, based on, for example, a, a you know a, a nil error that we run into all the time when we're building Ruby on Rails applications, uh, that's something that you don't really encounter in Elixir because it's a, it's a compiled language.
1: So, in your experience, what parts of Phoenix do you feel were borrowed from Rails? Because I hear a lot of similarities.
0: There there are a lot of similarities. I think that the main differences to someone coming directly from Rails to Phoenix is that the way that we do templating in Phoenix applications is a little bit different. It's it'll seem very familiar because you have EEX which is which is basically the same thing as ERB but taken to Phoenix but there is this concept of a view that's added. And so in Rails, the view is the template. The view is, the view is like the, the HTML with the, the code inside of it, right? But in Elixir, the view is so much more. The view basically describes how, how your data is going to look and then you send it off to the template. And so in most situations that you don't actually have to write much code for the view, but there is a separation. And so that goes beyond the, the model view and controller and you have model, view, template, and controller. And so, obviously, that's a very minor detail. Uh, but there are more complex things as well. Like Ecto is a completely different philosophy from uh, from Active Record, and that is something that takes takes time to wrap your brain around. Because I, I think I think you combine that with the fact that Phoenix forces you to be a lot more explicit with what you are trying to define. There's the concept of contexts, which you you have you have the concept of of contexts in Rails, but it's it's only considered to be a I would say a best practice because in Rails generally you would say that the goal the goal is you want to keep your your logic extracted generally to say a service object um, but often people extract that logic to the model or in worst case scenarios they they extract that to the controller or even the template and on, you have this concept of the context uh, in Elixir which is similar to a service object in Ruby but it is it is slightly different because you you try to extract that logic away and so going back to say active record in ruby you would do something say like users d- or user dot all but in elixir you would s- explicitly define a function in the context saying okay this is going to be uh we have an accounts context and you can have an accounts dot list all function, and that function will then call to Ecto, which is the, the database wrapper that Phoenix has, and that will then call to the database and then get back those users. And of course, you can do you can do intermediary steps, so you don't always have to define it within a context, but that is considered to be the way that you do it.
1: This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Headspace. So you've probably tried meditation before and it didn't work, right? Or maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong. If mental health is part of your self-care plan this year, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. I was skeptical, but I signed up and was really excited to see options that fit what I care about. They had an option for meditating while running, biking, and amazingly meditations for when you're in pain. As someone who recently twisted their ankle while running, this really felt personalized to me and helped a lot. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace's meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com/rails. That's headspace.com/rails for a free 1-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Thank you to Headspace for sponsoring the show. That's really interesting. So, does that mean that in the end you end up with a lot more code because Rails is doing a lot of things auto magically?
0: Yes, I, I think so. I, I think, and honestly, that's one of the things I really like about Phoenix, is that everything is there. It's explicit. And even if even if it's not explicitly in, in your code, if you want to see how Phoenix is doing something, all you have to do is look into the, the slash depths directory, which is where all the dependencies are, and you can literally look at Phoenix code. Uh, and, and another thing uh, that that is much different in terms of the explicitness is that Phoenix the, the way that code generation done is is done in Phoenix is a little bit different because when you're creating a Phoenix framework application, it is just Elixir code, and obviously obviously Elixir code is or obviously you have uh, Ruby on Rails is just Ruby code, right? But you tie in you tie in the the way that it's dependent upon Phoenix a little bit tighter, and because of that, you can customize the framework to your needs. So we have this concept of uh, let's say your, your application is called, uh, I don't know, uh, it, it's called the fun application. So you would call it the fun application underscore web, and that includes all of the information that you need for, for creating the controllers, the models, uh, the views, and the templates. And then on top of that, you can also define your live views from there.
1: So I have an interesting question to ask you, Jesse, because we've had some guests on the show who we might have lost them from the Ruby community because they were frustrated over the idea that Ruby doesn't equal Rails. And so they ultimately could have gone to Elixir and Phoenix, but they chose to stay in the Ruby community with Hanami and Dryer RB, for example, because they were currently working with Ruby at work. So I'm curious, like, what gives you the capacity to be able to explore Elixir and Phoenix, you know, while you're working on rails at work so so we actually have
0: phoenix projects um so so that that gives me the opportunity to explore various things but in other cases i just do it on my free time i'll i'll uh you know I'll, I'll let's say I'm working on some incredibly frustrating legacy Rails application. Then in the evening, after I've taken a little break, I'll I'll go back and and I'll start working on something interesting in Phoenix. And and I would say the most interesting things in Phoenix these days are our Live View and all of the cool things that you can do with that. Um, but I I would say that I, I think that I think that it's important that. People experiment with new tools and so even if it's not something that you want to take to your day-to-day or even if it's not something that you can work with in your day-to-day I think it's important to have that outlet that I guess that creative programming outlet because sometimes sometimes it can be frustrating sometimes you are going to be working on a project where maybe you don't enjoy it very much but you know that's that's the project you have at the moment and uh, you you I guess you look forward to to the future and I think the thing is you, you build up your skills and the the next project that comes in, you can say, oh well, is this a new thing? Maybe we can talk about uh, about uh, using whatever your preferred technology is. In this case, Phoenix. I, I would say I'm the biggest Phoenix evangelist in our company. Uh, I'm I'm always pushing for, oh well, I think we should you know we should do this in Phoenix. We should do that in Phoenix. And uh, but but I I do think that there are there are real benefits to Elixir and Phoenix over Ruby on Rails in terms of performance, in terms of the way code is written. But at the end of the day. It is a it is a personal opinion. You, you can write perfectly functioning perfectly. You, you can even write beautiful code in Ruby on Rails. It's I think it's I think it's ultimately a matter of the requirements that you have and um, and, and personal preference as well. And, and I guess company culture is a part of it. So I, I feel like a part of that question of of Ruby isn't Rails, I, I agree with that because I still sometimes, if I, if I want to build out a tiny script to do something, Ruby is my go-to language, of course, because if you want to build something in Elixir, you can, of course, you could build a tiny little command line application and you can do all sorts of, of, of very fascinating, interesting things. But if you don't need say that concurrency and you don't want the overhead of generating an entire application and then having to compile everything then for me Ruby I can just create one file in Ruby and then I just run Ruby file name and that's it and so for something that's relatively simple I'll just reach for Ruby of course for the complex things I still like to to reach for Elixir but um, I I do think I do think Ruby has its place and I think Ruby is an incredibly mature language and I'm, I'm glad it is it is seen as such these days I just think that for me and and maybe for other people as well, they've seen that they've seen that uh, Ruby or or perhaps Rails has its faults, and I think that those are kind of baked into the framework. But I don't think that there's going to be people who are just quitting Rails on mass these days. I think that I think that Rails is here to stay, but I do think that of course there are going to be those new technologies that fascinate people and that perhaps are are better in different ways, and and that's just the way of the world.
1: That's great. So I want to touch upon what I feel I hear over and over again is Phoenix like killer feature, and that is live view. So do you mind explaining to me what live view is? Sure.
0: So so Phoenix in the past had this thing called Phoenix Channels, and uh, you'll you'll probably know it if you've used uh, Action Action Cable in in Ruby on Rails. Uh, action Cable was essentially. Uh, it, i i don't know uh, i don't know what the what the rails developers think on this but it, it seems to me it was basically copied from phoenix because phoenix uh, phoenix hadn't it was very popular um and but basically phoenix channels was this way of, of creating web sockets that you could use to communicate and and basically have real-time communication and i think for a lot of people this was a game changer uh so what happened was chris mccord took took this concept of channels and took it one step further and said, well, we already have this mechanism for creating creating processes in Elixir and, and in the OTP and in the, the Beam virtual machine. So we started with, with this concept of channels in Elixir and in Phoenix. And what happened was Chris McCord with LiveView took this even further and said, well, we are able to create thousands and and even millions of very very lightweight processes using elixir and the erlang vm and so let's take that a step further and let's have server rendered html and send that over to the client via these web sockets and so that's what they did and and uh basically this started as as i i think basically an experimentation to see oh is this is this possible is it possible to do this and scale it and i think that's a question a lot of people have is can it scale and the answer is yes Um, basically saying okay so we have this this server rendered html and and if we are if we are able to to do this in a way that scales then hypothetically we will be able to create user interfaces using almost no javascript at all and that is, in fact, what they have created with, with LiveView. LiveView is an incredibly powerful part of Phoenix. And it, it doesn't necessarily come, come included with the framework. You have to explicitly specify it, even though it's, it's a pretty easy install. Um, but I think that, that LiveView is a, is a really killer feature. LiveView allows you to create these user interfaces without using any JavaScript at all. I think that, I think that Rails now has something similar. It's called uh, stimulus reflex, I believe, but uh, and I've explored that a bit. But I really find that the way that Elixir and Erlang uh, do concurrency is is unparalleled in the web development community, anyway, because you can build incredibly powerful systems. And so, going back to the way that that Live View works. You have you have a WebSocket connection that's established with the server, and so let's say uh, you want to build out a form. This is a, this is a great example of it because if you want to build out a form in something like let's say you're just doing plain Phoenix or you're doing you're doing plain Rails, you have to build out the data model on the server side. And then you have to build out also the data model and the validations on the client side, it, only if you want to have something interactive. Obviously, you can have a very simple form and you could say, okay, well, user, put your username and your password and everything else like that, submit it and everything else. But that's not really the way of the web development world these days. The way we like to do it is, oh, well, we're going to have this multi-step forms. We're going to have validation on the fly and things like that. And with live view something that makes it incredibly powerful for building user interfaces quickly without having to mess too much with javascript or having to build something out in react is that you can keep all of that data model on the server side and you can use the power of elixir and of processes and and of the actor model and you can essentially build out user interfaces entirely on the server side that feel like incredibly interactive applications on the front end and that's what i really love about liveview is you can do anything from building out an interactive form that that is is incredible it's not slow at all you would think that there's latency but it's actually incredibly fast to building out games um, you can build out live chat applications I ended up uh, building I think a few mo- months back I built out a um, a live video chat application using Phoenix and live View just as a just as basically an educational exercise and uh, you can you can build out these in- incredibly powerful systems using it <music>
1: This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With the developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance concerns, like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat, so you can spend less time debugging and more time building a great product. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why Rails developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open-source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting the show. Wow, uh, Jesse, we're starting to really get close to the line where you're starting to convince me. So you're doing a really great job here. But um, you did touch upon something early in the episode, and I want to come back to it. And that is the dependency ecosystem. And it sounds like it's actually really great, which I'm surprised to hear because we tend to tote how great uh, RubyGems is. And so I'd love to hear more about the ecosystem. Well,
0: I, think that, I think that Ruby on Rails has a very... A, a, an incredible community. I think that one of the things that makes Ruby on Rails special is the fact that you can you can build out an application incredibly quickly, which is is kind part of the original purpose of of Ruby on Rails. But the fact that you have all of these community created gems to do essentially whatever it is you're looking for. If you want authentication, you go grab devise. If you want say pagination, you grab will paginate. Everything else like that. And I think. I, I have a few problems with the with the way this is done just just focusing on that aspect of it is that I think that that is great for a lot of applications but often it allows people who are new to the framework to grab different gems without truly understanding the implications of what the gems are doing and so sometimes that is fine but if you think a few years down the road that gem uh, say that gem hasn't been maintained or even if the gem has been maintained you'll run into issues with you have to upgrade everything and at the end of the day if it's something that is that is relatively simple that could have been uh, that could have been built by by the team itself and specialized to to your needs then that's something that you could have avoided in terms of upgrading um, but that's that's even that's a fairly minor issue the fact that you can you can build things out and you can grab and go I think that that overall that's a that's a positive to the Ruby on Rails community I think the main issue is that because it's so easy to grab a gem, you it, it's so tempting in Ruby on Rails to just grab and go. And I think that that is something that really hurts a lot of Ruby on Rails applications. If you are not incredibly disciplined with the way that you are building a Ruby on Rails application, it's really easy to build something that works, but that's going to screw you down the line. And I, I think this comes from me working on a lot of uh, of legacy Rails applications at Little Lines. Is I, I always find... Uh, even, even getting started on an application. I, I get the application, you know, you pull down the, the Git repo, and then you try to make sure you have the right Ruby version. That's fairly simple, right? Unless it's something that's, you know, above 2.0, and then you have to deal with all of those issues. But I think that, I think that the main issue is you, you run bundle install And immediately everything is broken because you have to deal with all sorts of external dependencies. They need to to compile various, like, uh, you know, various C extensions or whatever else or or, uh, getting other libraries from the computer. And on top of that, um, if you ever try to do an upgrade with those gems, you'll have a whole bunch of other things breaking. And then you have to constantly update things on your system in order to get the Ruby on Rails application to work. I found that with Elixir applications, you rarely have to do that. And I, I'm not sure if it's because the, the Elixir and the Erlang ecosystem is a lot more self-contained or if it's because people are more disciplined with their, their packages. I think I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and, and I think part of it is because there are not as many packages that you can just grab and go for, for Phoenix and for Elixir. You could certainly grab and go with a package, but I think, I think that the community tends more, uh, to, to lean more towards you should build it yourself if it's something that's relatively simple and the more complex solutions, there's, there's community things that are out there uh, that will help you along. But I think, I think that the big dependency issue really is is that Ruby on Rails makes it, makes it very easy to do very complex things. And that can lead people to making mistakes that I think cost time down the line. So I, I would say that's really where the, the main issue is.
1: That makes sense. Well, as we get close to wrapping up the show, I always ask my guests what their thoughts on the Ruby and Ruby on Rails community is. But in this case, I would like to ask you what your thoughts are on the future of the Elixir and Phoenix communities.
0: I think I think it's looking really bright. I really do. I think that I think that it's an incredibly welcoming community, which is which is really nice. They have a, a Slack channel, and you can you can talk with the creators of you can talk with the, the creators of Phoenix of Elixir. Um, you can and there's also a Elixir forum. Uh, I would say I would say that they're they're both really good quality resources. On top of that, I think that the tooling and the packaging around Elixir is. Is very well made. I think that what makes Elixir so nice is that there was a lot of thought put into all of the tools. Phoenix, you can tell that there was a lot of dedication, a lot of thought put into how it's designed. And they're also very careful. the 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 uh, contributors are very careful not to make make changes that will that will break things in the past. They're they're mainly focusing, especially on on Elixir. Uh, you think about uh, Jose Valim. He's he, he's the creator of uh, of Elixir. Um, he's mainly focusing on improvements to the compiler at this moment and not as much on oh let's grab the latest fancy feature because to be honest I, I feel like Elixir is a is a very well made a a very complete language and everything that you could possibly want is right there the only things from here are just improvements in terms of uh, maybe adding additional libraries and things like that uh, so I, I think the future of, of, of Elixir and of Phoenix are very bright and I think that a large contributor of that is definitely the Live View framework I think that Live View is something that really gets people interested and for good reason because writing javascript in my opinion is not fun uh, you know you have to deal with all sorts of, of you have to deal with both of the beast of building out the, the server side of things and then on top of that have to deal with the entire javascript ecosystem and you have to, to tame that beast and it adds so much complexity and if, if you're trying to build something on a small team or even if you're just trying if you're trying to build something on a large team it, it makes a lot of sense to be able to build everything on on the same platform. And that's something easy to get started, just like with Ruby. Um, And and it's also incredibly easy to gradually ramp up as you go, and that's something that's really nice. You can can start out by saying, oh, this is a lot like Ruby, the syntax is similar. Yeah, there's some weird things here and there. And then you can keep going and keep going and keep going, and you can start getting to message passing and gen servers, and then you can keep going and you can get into macros and everything else. And so there's always something fascinating to learn. And that's something that I really love about Elixir is that there's so many fascinating elements of it and there's always people willing to help you learn.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on and explaining all that. I am excited to dig into it. So Jesse, how can listeners follow you?
0: Uh, I'm not really much on social media. I have a website, Uh But uh, you know, people can email me if they'd like, uh, if they have any questions or if they, they want some resources, I'm happy to reach out. Uh, I My email's on my GitHub account. It's uh, github.com slash jesseherrick, And um, yeah, I, I would say that's the main way to reach out to me.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show and explaining all of this. I'm definitely going to check out LiveView after getting that explanation. And it was great speaking with you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and Open Source Software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.